Well, good morning. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. It's great to be with you all and sing praises to our, Christ, our living Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. And I want to say Christ indeed has risen, hasn't he? And the resurrection of Christ is a game changer. More than that, that sounds kind of weak, doesn't it? More than that, it's, it alters our entire lives, right? Because Christ has risen, we too, by faith in him, we have been raised to newness of life. And someday in the future, when Christ returns, we will even be raised bodily with resurrection, immortal bodies. This is a glorious message. The resurrection is the lens through which we as Christians are to view all of our lives, the entirety of our lives. And I want to encourage you today, and my prayer today has, it has been that whatever you are going through right now, that our time today in the presence of Christ, in the presence of the living Christ and together, that our time today will be a pivot point for you. That you would encounter the living, risen Lord Jesus Christ. We all have trials that we face. We all have hardships in life. Of course, we live in a fallen world, and we are affected in many ways by living in a fallen world, some enormous ways and, some, and, and, and hundreds of small ways. Some here today are facing troubles in relationships and the closest relationships, and it's devastating. Some might be facing trouble at work. Maybe you're a business owner or you just work for a company, and there is severe trouble you're facing. Some here or those gathered online might be facing trouble in their own health. Your trouble is in your own body with disease and affliction and sickness. Some have trouble emotionally and you can't even put your finger on it. Of course, all of us face increasing trouble in our own nation and our society as it continues to descend into madness. But you being here and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ and hearing from his word is not insignificant. It is not a small thing. It can change everything. It really can. We are here to celebrate the good news that Christ has risen from the dead. This is the best, most joyous news in all the world. It's better news than if you got, you know, an envelope in the mail that said you won the lottery. It's better news than, than, than getting the news that you've received a promotion to the highest position in your company. It's better news than going on the best vacation. This is supreme. This is the climax. This is the best news in the world. And I think that's the point of our text. The point of our text is that a new day had dawned on which the king of glory got up from the grave, took off his grave clothes, and declared, death, where is your victory? The second verse to Christ the Lord has risen today says this, love's redeeming work is done, hallelujah. Fought the fight, the battle won, hallelujah. Death in vain forbids him rise, hallelujah. Christ has opened 
paradise. Hallelujah. Mary Magdalene, this woman who was dear to the Lord, was weeping, and for obvious reasons. She thought that not only had her Savior and Lord died, but that his body had been snatched away over the weekend. In her state of weeping, she is asked a question twice. It's the exact same question. She's asked it twice, once by one of the angels in the tomb and once by the Lord Jesus himself, whom she thought was the gardener. She was asked this question, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? The angels and Jesus thought if she knew what really happened here, she would not be weeping. If she knew the event that took place just a little bit ago, she would not be weeping. I was up this morning, uh, a lot last night, and about two o'clock in the morning, I was having a hard time falling asleep, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, 2,000 years ago, on the first day of the week, there was a time, a moment, when the dead corpse of Christ began to move. And he sat up and took off his face wrappings and took off the grave clothes and got up and busted out of the tomb. Jesus thought, no doubt, if she knew what happened, she would not be weeping, she would be rejoicing. And indeed, in a moment, Mary's mourning was turned into dancing. Jesus told his disciples Upon that, the night before he is to be crucified, he says, upon my death, you're not going to see me and you're going to mourn and lament. But then you will see me again and your sorrow will be turned to joy. And then he says this, and no one will take that joy from you. The resurrection of Jesus has the power today to turn your sorrow and your hardship into ecstatic joy. Joy unspeakable and filled with glory. It has the power to make you laugh and dance and sing. Yes, even in the face of your difficulties. Being here today doesn't mean tomorrow you won't have to face the pressures that you thought you were going to have to face. But it means you face it in light of the fact that Christ has risen and that changes everything. The resurrection also has the power to take a life of sin and selfishness and transform it into a life of love for God and love for neighbor. I recently read a portion of a study from 2017, so the stats might be a little off. I think it's probably in, the wor- in a worse direction. And it said that 25% of American Christians do not believe in the resurrection. Wow. Now, They might believe that there's some spiritual truth to get out of it, that maybe Jesus kind of rose in some spiritual um, way, more like a Gnostic might believe or something like that, but they don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Now, you might be wondering, how can you be a Christian if you don't believe in that? And the short answer is you can't. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead bodily. It's central to our faith. Absolutely central. No resurrection, no Christianity, period. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ physically. I have no gospel apart from it. 
Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, here's what's at stake. He says our preaching is futile, our faith is in vain, we are misrepresenting God, we are still in our sins, our loved ones who have died have perished forever, and we are, as Christians, of all people, most to be pitied. In other words, no resurrection, no Christianity at all. Take away the resurrection and you take away Christianity. But we believe Christ has been raised from the dead. And again, this is the most stupendous, spectacular news in the world. Now you might be wondering, why is this such good news? And we've covered some things already. But why is this such good news? And I want to show you from our text, from these 19 verses, 18, 19 verses, I want to show you from our text four reasons why this is such amazing news. First, the resurrection fulfills Scripture. And that's massively important. Second, through the resurrection, death is defeated. Third, through the resurrection, Christ is exalted. And fourth, through the resurrection, our adoption as sons and daughters of God is confirmed. So let's just kind of work our way through each of these one at a time. First, The resurrection is good news because it fulfills Scripture. Verses 8 and 9 says this, Then the other disciple, who was John, John's the one who wrote this, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. So here's the story. Peter got to the tomb. Peter didn't get to the tomb first, but he entered the tomb first. He saw the grave clothes lying in one place and the face cloth lying in another place. And John went in and saw the same thing, and it says, He believed. Up to this time, they had been told that the scriptures needed to be fulfilled, that Christ would be crucified, and that he would be raised on the third day. But when John saw this, The resurrection, the empty tomb, not the crucifixion, but the empty tomb he understood and he believed. Notice the word must in verse 9. He must rise from the dead. Of course, he must rise for our salvation. That's a given. But also, he must rise in order to fulfill Scripture. To fulfill what God had said, which I think is more foundational for our faith, and I think which is the emphasis that lies in our text. When John saw the tomb empty, the empty tomb, it dawned on him and he thought, ah, yes, we were told of this. We were told that Christ would be crucified and then on the third day he would rise again to fulfill scripture and he believed Listen to John 2, verses 19 to 22. It says this. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. 
When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and listen to this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Scripture testified, testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament scripture prophesied of it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ was raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures, which of course for him would have been the Old Testament. Passages like Psalm 16, which was read earlier at the start of our worship service, which of course Peter quotes on the, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, points to the resurrection of Christ. Isaiah 53 not only tells of the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the bruising of the Father, that he would lay our iniquities upon the Son, that by his wounds we are healed, but it also points to the fact that Christ would be raised. You might think, why does this matter? And I would suggest it matters enormously. It matters because our faith rests on whether or not God is true, whether or not his word can be trusted. God is not a liar, amen? God is not a liar. God is true. Jesus is not a false prophet. When he said, I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to take it up, he is a true prophet. He did what he said he would do. Furthermore, we can trust everything that God has said without question. I think there's a lot of muddled thinking about what prophecy is. Quite frankly, I think there's a lot of muddled thinking about it. And I, I hope to clear some of that up maybe for you today. Prophecy is not foretelling the future and hoping it happens. Or foretelling the future and thinking, well, if other people do their part and, and, and so forth, then it'll happen. That's not prophecy. When the prophet spoke of Christ, his death, death and resurrection, it wasn't like, well, if Herod gets his act together and if Pontius Pilate does his part and... No, no, no. God spoke through the prophets and then he saw to it that the prophecies would be fulfilled. And therefore, God's prophetic word and his promises are absolutely certain. Brothers and sisters, we can take God's word to the bank. Everything he's promised, every prophetic word spoken of Christ will be fulfilled. Jesus said in John 10, verse 35, he said the scripture cannot be broken. He doesn't say it better not. He doesn't say it won't. He says it can't. It's impossible. Christ has risen. He said he would. The prophesies, prophets prophesied that he would, and he did. God is true. His word is truth and can be totally trusted. Second, the resurrection of Christ is good news because the empty tomb means that death is defeated. The grave clothes were in the tomb, but Jesus was not. Now, Christ's resurrection was not merely the resuscitation of his physical body, right? 
This was a one-of-a-kind event. During his earthly ministry, Jesus raised people from the dead. Of course, in the book of Acts, we see Peter doing that and Paul as well. Most notably for Christ in his ministry was Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But guess what happened to Lazarus at a future time after he was raised? He died again, right? He, he, he was raised, he lived for a period of time, I don't know exactly how long, but he died and his body went into the ground again. <laughs> he went to the tomb twice. I wonder if Lazarus thought, why are you raising me? <laughs> right? I'm going to have to go through this again. I'm joking, all right. Um, he did have to go through it again. His body was resuscitated, but it wasn't a true resurrection which would come later. Jesus Christ was raised immortal. Bodily, his body was raised immortal. Here's what J.I. Packer said about the resurrection of Christ. He said, it was a creative renewing of his original body, the body that is now fully glorified and deathless. I love that, deathless. Cannot die again. Romans 6, 9 says, and we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This is good news for all who believe, and I mean really believe in Christ. Not just kind of a absent-minded, I believe all that stuff, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying those who, those who stake their lives on this truth, it is good news. This last year has been, of course, a real eye-opener. People fear dying, right? And we've, all, we've known this, we, we've always known this, but with this pandemic that's come and, and the effect it's had upon our lives and, and uh, whether or not, well, anyways, I won't go there, but it's, it's come right up close to us. People fear dying. And without Christ, for good reason. Without Jesus Christ, the fear of death is a very reasonable and logical fear. The Bible says that death is the last enemy. And it's a real enemy. It's an enemy that's going to come knocking on the door of each and every person who lives on planet Earth, on each and every person sitting here today. It's going to come knocking on your door. But for those who have a living, saving faith in Christ, listen to what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said this to, to Martha, Lazarus' sister. And he turned to Martha after this, or maybe raised his head, and I just imagine him looking her in the eye, and he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That whoever believes in Christ, 
Though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever trusts in him will never die. Do you believe this? Paul actually said, he had the audacity to say, (laughs) and I want to say this too, and I want you to be able to say this. He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain because we just go to be with the Lord. Of course, Paul's not saying we should go out and try to die or anything like that. But to die is gain for the believer. I wonder if you picked up on something in this account here in John chapter 20. Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first, right? She had mistaken him for someone else. Who was it? The gardener. Now remember, there's nothing, I mean, I've said this many times from this poll, there's nothing, even something that seems incidental that is without significance in the Bible, right? God is the author, every word, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So even something that seems kind of in passing, it's important. She thought he was the gardener. In the first garden, Adam sinned and received the death sentence, right? And all of us fell in Adam. It's called original sin. It's called the fall, right? In other words, all who have been born since Adam, we have all inherited Adam's sin and we have inherited from Adam death. But on the first day of the week, in this garden, Christ, the last Adam, having been obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, was raised in power and given the power of an indestructible life. And all who trust in him share in that life. All who trust in Christ share in his life, the indestructible life that he possesses. Now, of course, we share in it spiritually now, And we're going to share in it fully and bodily in the future when Christ returns. And we too receive deathless bodies. The empty tomb demonstrates Christ's victory over death and it guarantees ours as well. Third, the resurrection is good news because through it our Lord is exalted. Verse 17 Jesus, speaking to Mary, says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go tell my brothers, I am ascending to my Father. Have you ever read this, or maybe when Taylor read this earlier, the phrase, do not cling to me, kind of jumped out as somewhat of an abrasive thing for Jesus to say to Mary? It might sound abrasive, it might sound kind of rough or rude, but certainly Jesus wasn't intending it in that way. He didn't mean to, he wasn't trying to push her away. From the meaning of the word cling and the reason Jesus gives, we get the sense that Jesus is saying something like this, don't divert me from my purpose. Don't divert me from what I intend to do and from what I must do. And what is that purpose? To ascend to the Father. To ascend to the highest place. To be exalted to the highest place and take his seat at the right hand of God the Father. Look at verse 17 again. It says, Do not cling to me 
And then he gives the reason. For or because I have not yet ascended to the Father. Paul said in Philippians 2 that because Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the Father has exalted him and raised him and exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The resurrection was the first step in this exaltation, but Jesus wasn't raised from the dead to continue his life on earth. He was raised from the dead and he would be with his disciples for a period of time and then he would ascend to the Father's right hand to be glorified in the presence of the Father with the glory that he had before the world existed. And from this place of exaltation at the Father's right hand, Jesus does two things. One, he continues his ministry to his people. And second, he reigns with universal authority. Amen. Universal authority. First, he continues his ministry to his people. When Jesus sat down at the Father's right hand, we're told in Acts chapter two that he received something from the Father. Remember what that is? The gift of the Holy Spirit and poured the Spirit out upon the church. What a gift. What a gift, right? The promise of the Father, Jesus having ascended to the Father's right hand, received the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured this precious gift out upon his people. But Jesus continues to serve us even now. And you might wonder how. And I think, quite frankly, this is often overlooked, the present ministry of Jesus now. We look to the cross at what he did for us there and we praise him and we should. We look to the resurrection and the miracle of being raised from the dead and all that he accomplished for us there and we praise him and of course we should. We look to his second coming with hope and anticipation and of course, and we praise him and of course we should. But we can overlook what he's doing now and I think we do that to our own detriment. J.C. Ryle, who is a, Christian minister in Great Britain in the mid mid to late 1800s, he said this concerning the present ministry of Christ. He says, we ought always to remember that he not only died and went to the grave, but that he rose again and he ascended up on high, leading captivity captive. We ought to remember that he is now sitting at the right hand of God to do as real a work, as important to our souls as the work which he did when he shed his blood on the cross. Christ lives and is not dead. He lives as truly as any one of us lives. Christ sees us, he hears us, he knows us, and he is acting as high priest in heaven on behalf of his believing people. The thought of his life ought to have as great and and important a place in our souls as the thought of his death upon the cross. Hebrews 7.25 puts it this way, Christ is able to save to the 
uttermost. Completely, fully, those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. If you are in Christ, what is Jesus doing on your behalf right now? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. Isn't that amazing? This old Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, said, oh, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't be afraid of 10,000 soldiers surrounding me right now. And then he said, oh, he prays for us. Christ prays for us. He intercedes for us. And Hebrews 7 says he always lives to intercede for us. Very quickly, one more thing worth noting that Jesus is doing now. Jesus ascended to a throne and he is king. And he is king with universal authority. When he rose from the dead, Jesus said to his disciples, right before he gave them what's called the Great Commission, he said this, all authority in heaven, and if we stop right there, most of us would say, amen, all authority in heaven belongs to him. But it doesn't stop there. It says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. And so when you see insanity all around, like what is going on surely the devil is running the world no he's not christ has universal authority he is working out his purposes and his plans and we can trust him some have jokingly somewhat jokingly called psalm 110 one god's favorite verse because of how often it's quoted in the new testament first corinthians 15 verses 25 and 26 refers to it when it says this, for he, speaking of Christ, must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrection is good news because Christ has been exalted. Fourth, the resurrection is good news because through it our adoption is confirmed. Look at verse 17. This, this jumped out at me this week. I never noticed this before. I mean, I've read through it, but I've never noticed it. Jesus said to Mary, go say to my brothers, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. The resurrection confirms the adopting work of Christ to make us sons and daughters of God. Now, of course, Jesus called his disciples, uh, he, he said that God was their father when he was with them and walked with them during the days of his, of his ministry on the earth. But he did that, I think, in anticipation of what he would accomplish for them through his death and resurrection. The resurrection of Christ was the crowning proof that our debt has been paid. 
that Christ's sacrifice was perfectly acceptable to the Father and that our adoption has been sealed in Christ, because of Christ. I love the phrase, my father and your father. Isn't that amazing? Of course, God is the father of Jesus Christ, not by adoption like he is for us. He's the father of Christ eternally. But I can't help but think that Jesus here is thinking ahead to just a matter of 50 days or so when he will pour out upon his disciples the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called in Romans 8, the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is called in Galatians 4, the spirit of his son, or some translations say the spirit of sonship. We have been given the spirit of adoption, the spirit of the son, the spirit of sonship. Jesus' father is your father. If you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, he's your father. Now, I think it's an important qualification if you are in Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you're clinging to Christ, if Christ is your Savior, your Lord. We sung it earlier, if he is your friend. His Father is yours. Jesus shares, and I think this is, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and both Romans 8, Galatians 4 says, the Holy Spirit from within cries out, Abba, Father. There's only one other person that uses the word Abba in the New Testament, and it's Christ. Jesus shares his status as son with us. Now, ladies, don't be offended, okay? Men are called part of the bride of Christ, and sometimes you're called sons, all right? That's just the way it is. You are given the status because you are in Christ of being beloved and treasured and privileged like God's firstborn son, Jesus. There is no greater reality in all the world than to be beloved sons and daughters of God, fully assured by the Holy Spirit Well, Jesus sent Mary to announce to his disciples these things. And Mary goes and finds Peter and James and John and the rest. And she announces, and her announcement is exactly right. I mean, I I just love the way she announces this. At least the way that John records it for us. He, He gives us just a very succinct statement she makes. She announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. She went as a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She didn't go as an advocate, but as a witness. An advocate brings news they have received secondhand, right? Somebody told me that somebody told me that Jesus is alive. She went as a witness. She had seen the Lord. She had heard his voice. She had experienced the resurrected Christ herself. And she went to the disciples and says, I've seen him. In the book of Acts, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came upon his disciples, those that were, well, ended up being those gathered in the upper room, and I think also whoever 
belongs to Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, came upon them, comes upon us, they were made witnesses and we are made witnesses as well. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to what they had seen and heard, what they had experienced. And we too are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to what we have seen in a different way, spiritually, by faith, what we have heard, by faith, and what we have experienced of the risen Christ. And so, if all of this is true, if the good news, if the resurrection is the best news in all the world because it fulfills scripture and because Christ is exalted and because death is defeated and because our adoption is confirmed, how should you and I live? If you can say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, and you really believe it because the scriptures teach it and because the Holy Spirit has borne witness in your soul, what should your response be? How should you rise up and walk out of here today? I just have one thing. Our response should be a life of courageous, faith-filled obedience to Christ. He's Lord, right? So obedience for sure. He's our high priest, right? So, so faith-filled. And he's king with universal authority. So courage. Courageous, faith-filled obedience. It should free us from the idols of safety and comfort that are worshipped and adored in our culture, in Western society. Now, of course, the right kind of safety, safety in Christ, Right? And the right kind of comfort, the comfort that comes from the comforter, the Holy Spirit, is wonderful and amazing. But faith in the resurrection of Christ, it frees us from this, this sense that we need ever-increasing safety and comfort at all costs, from any possible danger that could hurt us. A theologian named Andrew Sandlin, I think, hit, on the, hit the nail on the head. He said this, when anyone, anyone walks up, and I do this, I do this. I got, I got five kids, well, four now that are running out of the house at different times. He said, when anyone walks out the door, a relative or a friend or dad cautions, be careful, be safe. We never hear, be bold, do what's right. Safety and health, not faith and obedience, are our misguided priorities. If the resurrection's true, it ought to change that. We should still tell our kids to be careful, but we should teach them and raise them, and we ourselves should walk out the door with this mindset. I want to be bold. I want to do right. I want to live in the light that Christ has risen from the dead. John Piper says, wimpy, hesitant, insecure, inactive Christians are a contradiction. For Paul, the resurrection of Christ and the hope of his future resurrection emboldened him in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, I die every day. (laughs) He says he wrestled with wild beasts. He was in danger everywhere he went. 
And he says, if the dead aren't raised, why am I doing this? How did Paul live this way? Because he was confident Christ had risen from the dead. And therefore, God is true. His word can be taken face value. It's absolutely true. Christ is exalted. He sits at the Father's right hand. We are, brother, we are his brothers and sisters, and God the Father is our Father. Amen? Amen. Are you convinced of this? Yes. Amen, I hope you are. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We give